Amen. So, uh, and we're going to be starting a new series today in the book of Revelation. Some of you may not have known that. So, we've gone from Hosea, which is one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament, and today we're going to be starting the book of Revelation, which is probably the most difficult, challenging book in the New Testament. So, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if we're, um, you, know, uh, you know, masochistic uh, as a church. We're kind of the crazy church that tackles all these difficult books. Um, recklessness, I'm not sure what it is. Or maybe on the, the, the neutral side, it's an adventuresome spirit in our congregation. Uh, or maybe it's just uh, kind of enthusiasm for the difficult challenges. Or maybe, you know, uh, maybe we're actually being faithful and, and trusting God and being spirit-led. That's, that's what I'm hoping it is. But we'll find out, right, in the next weeks as we unfold the book of Revelation together and understand what the message of it is. So let's just jump right in. Would you open up to the book of Revelation? And I'm going to do a couple of things um, this morning. But first of all, pass out a Bible for anybody who needs a Bible. Raise your hand. Um, it's on page 713 in that particular Bible, right towards the end. Uh, the book of Revelation page 713. If you have a phone that you're reading on, open up to chapter 1. If you want to use the, what's called the CSB Bible, um, you can take a look there because that's the one I'm going to be reading from. Um, we typically use the ESV, but uh, I've been using the CSB recently. Um, someday I'll explain all the differences between those, but not right now because we've got a lot of good stuff to cover in the book of, of Revelation. A um, little background, this is the book, of course, it's at the very end of the Bible, and all of the threads of Scripture converge in this book. Everything comes together, it starts to all make sense, and the future is laid out in sort of this glorious picture in the book of Revelation. And the book itself, the type of literature it is, it, it, there's two ways to describe it, at least, two primary ways. And I need to say something about that just so we can get our bearings as we begin to enter into a study of the book of Revelation. First of all, this is prophetic, which simply means it's a timely word from the Lord with a purpose. And that purpose, oftentimes in the Old Testament, the prophetic word is to call people back to themselves, to God, to call them to repentance, to call them to faith. And so we'll see an element, that dynamic of, of calling that's going to be a part of this book. It's, it's to change the way that we move through the world. After reading this book, we should be different people. It's prophetic. But it's also, and this is a word that scares people sometimes, it's apocalyptic. It's a type of literature that's called apocalyptic. Well, that word just means it reveals. And what it is that it reveals, it reveals, it's kind of this visionary revelation of the heavenly secrets using symbols that are rooted in the Old and the New Testament. When you read the book of Revelation, you get all this interesting symbol, and you don't know how to make sense of it oftentimes. If you want to know how to make sense of it, you often have to go back into the Old Testament, read the passages there, and see what it means there, and it's being pulled forward. Now, there's so much symbolism in the book of Revelation that we're not even going to be able to go back and review all of the Old Testament passages. But I would encourage you, if you want to do something interesting and fun alongside of our study in Revelation, to go and read the book of Daniel, to read the book of Ezekiel, uh, to read the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Those three books uh, are kind of like the wellspring of a lot of what's going to be uh, symbolized in the book of Revelation. So I've been reading through the book of Zechariah in my personal 
study time, and it's fun to see uh, some of the symbols appear there that are going to then appear in the book of Revelation. So it, it just helps you with your, your vocabulary a little bit to understand uh, what you're seeing. Um, because it's, it's very rich. Um, and, and what this, this apocalyptic literature is doing is it's sort of pulling back the curtain for us to see what's going on in the spiritual realm. Lots of things happening in the world. We, always, we don't always know how to make sense of what we see or hear or touch. What's happening in the physical realm. But this book is saying there's something going on in the spiritual realm behind all that that's greater and grander. And, we, and, and, and God wants you to understand what that is so that you can navigate life in the present more effectively and more faithfully and with more confidence. That's one of the big themes of the book of Revelation. Now, in your bulletin today, you've got an insert. So I took some time over Christmas break to do a little of a bit of a breakdown on the book of Revelation. And so you want to pull that out right now? If, if you don't have one, we've probably got some more in the back. Um, raise your hand and we'll, we'll pass one to you. Uh, so somebody, can somebody who's got the bulletins back there? Um, this is a little insert. It's uh, got the title of the series, How to Overcome the World. And it's got the dates. And then there's a synopsis for you to look at, which gives you sort of the main picture of where we're headed. Um, and then uh, I want to look at the major themes because this is going to whet your appetite a little bit for where uh, we're going uh, in the next, next season. So take a look at the major themes uh, there. So some of the major themes. We're going to look at a theology of power in this book. What does true power look like? Um, so yeah, we're getting some more bulletins over here to just pass those out. Um, what does true power look like? Um, and, and, and Jesus gives us an example of conquering through death, and there's going to be a corollary for us in that. As I said, we're going to be talking about the spiritual realm. What you see is not all there is. We're going to be looking at the no, this, this concept of identity. Uh, we are a kingdom of priests who will conquer with God. So to the extent that God overcomes and conquers, we conquer with God um, as, kingdom, as a kingdom of priests. Uh, the effect of getting cozy with the culture around us. So what happens is when followers of God become more and more cozy with the culture around them, more and more like the world, then what happens is the weakening effect can take place. And, and that's part one of the themes. Hostility towards Christians, um, which is an unavoidable uh, reality of our world, and it comes from all sides. This concept uh, we're calling communitas, uh, this is the idea that when people are together on a radical journey, a challenging journey, relationships are formed. And this is part of the message of the book of Revelation, that the people of God are moving through time together, meeting all kinds of difficulties and challenges. And in that process, God is forming community among them. And it, it's kind of like if you've ever been on... Uh, just an amazing journey with a group of people, you know at the end of that journey, you have a special relationship with those people. One time I biked from, from Berkeley down to San Diego, and, and the, the, my buddy that I biked with, we, uh, we, we still text each other back and forth from time to time and say, hey, remember when we did that thing? Because there was some special achievement together. Well, the people of God are doing that. We're, we're living into God's plan, and as we do that, community is built uh, around that mission together. 
Um, the rich and poor. The wealth, wealth leads to complacency. Poor are lifted up. The heavenly all people's vision. Uh, the gospel brings people from all nations together. Uh, wow, what a great message for our time right now. As you open up your web browser and you look at the news and everything that's happening, what a great message for us to live into and to see from the perspective of Scripture. Um, God, uh, God is sovereign despite how it might seem. So there's a message about not being anxious there. And then lastly, and really this is sort of the, the culmination of all the themes in the book of Revelation, is God's glory. The unfathomable, never-ending goal of everything is the glory of God. And, and we, as God's people, get lifted up into to God's presence and experience that glory in a unique way. Uh, and so uh, these are the major themes that we're going to be looking at. Some of them will pop out today as we begin our study in the book of Revelation. Others will come uh, in coming weeks, but wanted to give you that overview. Um, that is the size, that sheet of paper is the size to fit in your Bible. So um, you might want to just keep it in there and refer to that as you're reading through and studying the book of Revelation. Uh, I put on our in-house Facebook page uh, a, a link to a video about the book of Revelation, kind of an overview. So um, if you want to take a look at that this week, it would help you as well as we begin this journey. Um, if you're interested in being a part of that special face Facebook page, just send uh, an email to um, info at solanochurch.org, and we'll make sure you get on there and get connected that way. Okay, so with that, uh, you're open already to Revelation 1. And what I'm going to do is, is read the first section where it's a little bit more introductory. And then towards the end of this passage in chapter 1, there's one particular phrase that I would like us to latch on to. So, so we don't leave this place having just sort of looked globally at the book of Revelation, but we actually get something we can take home with us, something we can hold on for this week um, as, we're, as we're starting this series. So um, here we are in Revelation 1. Starting in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And it's interesting to note the flow here from God to Jesus Christ, and then it's going to be to an angel. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So one, two, three, four, from God to Jesus Christ to the angel who gives the message to John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. And then blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Hey, how about that? Here we are, reading it aloud. And blessed are those who hear, that's you, the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So you, you right at the beginning, you have this, this really cool flow from God through Jesus Christ, through the angel, to John, who writes it down so that somebody could read it and people could hear it and be blessed by it. It reminds me that what, what's happening right now is a dynamic process. Okay, this is not some old dead letter that sits on a shelf and has no meaning today. Actually, what it's saying is that as you read this letter, the Holy Spirit is going to work through it to minister to you. God himself is going to minister to you. This is a dynamic, living relationship with God. And 
the book of Revelation is a key vehicle through which we come to know who God really is and how he works in our lives. So we should enter into this whole thing with a little bit of expectation. And maybe you want to think right now or just open your heart to God. Say, God, you know, will you do something in my life as we study the book of Revelation? Will you work in my life to bring about the kinds of changes that you want to bring, to lead me in the way that you want to lead me in this precious season that we have to study the book of Revelation. All right, uh, verse 4. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. The book is going to be reaching into the past, speaking about the present, and telling us about the future. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We see those twin themes of our identity as kingdom, as a kingdom of priests, and the glory of God. In fact, they're intertwined that we have been called into relationship with God to draw from his greatness. And in doing so, and because of the forgiveness, our identity has changed. We're now a kingdom of priests. Verse 7, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I love this about the scripture is it gives us this incredible picture, sort of highest level view, 30,000, 45,000 foot. This is God. This is what's happening. But it never loses touch with reality and touching the earth. And that's what you see in the next section. Look with me in verse 9. This lofty vision touches the earth through this person, John. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And just break there for a second. Um, If you go to the next slide, you may be wondering where Patmos is. Eusebius tells us that John was on the island. Eusebius is a church historian way back. He tells us that John was on the island because he had been preaching the gospel and somehow got in trouble, and so he was exiled to this little island, Patmos. And if you want to know where it is, Italy is on the, on the left there, and then that's Greece in the middle, and then Turkey would be on the right. And so this little island is right next to Turkey. And if you go to the next slide, you can kind of get a sense, a feel for it. And then the next slide, uh, this is supposedly, uh, we don't know for sure, actually the cave, though uh, tradition has it, where John received the revelation that became the letter that we're reading right now. Now, of course, there weren't any pews in there when he was there, uh, and uh, gold boxes and wooden thrones, all those were added later, uh, and the concrete floor extending out from it. Uh, but imagine this guy, he's in exile on, a, on an island, all by himself, 
And imagine the sense of isolation and the smallness he might have, might, must have felt. And it's in that cave that he receives this incredible revelation from God. And, and maybe that's a little bit like our experience as well. Maybe we feel like we're in a cave right now. Maybe the circumstances of life, the brokenness of the relationships around us, the, the struggle, whatever it is that we're facing, has us feeling like we're in a cave. And the book of Revelation is going to come to us as a way to reframe, because that's what it did for John. It reframed his perspective on his circumstances. It's one of the things that God does best. And it's one of the things he wants to do in your life through this book, is to reframe your perspective on your life. So that's the, 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 the particular place, this, this lofty vision touches the earth in that little cave, and from that cave, it touches us in our unique lives. Verse 10, it happened like this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet, saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. John's in this cave. He's, his vision, he turns to see what's happening. And this is where it gets interesting. This is where the symbols begin to unfold. And it paints a picture of Jesus Christ, ultimately. But it's a picture using the symbols of the Old Testament. And we're maybe not supposed to actually try to put it, draw it in our minds, but to understand this is the content, the, the character of the person who was before John. Here, here it is. Here, here's the description. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. And, and that comes from the book of Daniel, dressed in a robe. That comes from another part in the book of Daniel. And with a golden sash wrapped around his chest, and the hair of his head was white as wool. That comes from Daniel, and there's also a mention of that in Isaiah. White as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze, as it is fired in a furnace. And, and that comes from Ezekiel. And his voice like the sound of cascading waters, also from Ezekiel. Have you ever been a, a, around a waterfall? You hear the multiplicity of voices of the water, or a fast-moving river. And the same... Uh, element is in quality was in this voice of God as it was coming through this one. He had seven stars in his right hand and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was shining like the sun full of strength. Just like in Matthew 17 when, when Jesus comes onto the hill of transfiguration and his face is, is radiant. And so John turns and he, he has this incredible vision that's overwhelming and the dynamics, and it, and, it, and it reaches back into all of the truths of the Old Testament that describe the awesome character of the Messiah, all there on display in the person of Jesus, such that, verse 17, when I saw him, John writes, I fell at his feet like a dead man. But then listen to this. You can, you can see why, see, seeing that, person, you would be overwhelmed. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. 
fact, this is going to be one of the themes in the book of Revelation. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And it's so fitting that we first hear it on the lips of Jesus himself. As he reaches out and puts his hand on John, he says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And with that, we're off to the races. This vision is going to unfold for us in these next chapters. First, the seven churches and the angel and then the seals and the bulls and the trumpets and on and on and on. This incredible vision is going to unfold for us. And that's what is ahead for us as a congregation as we work through it to understand what does it mean to overcome the world? Because that's going to be our main theme. But today I want to use the time that we have, which is short, to look at this simple phrase in verse 18 in which Jesus says to John, who's afraid of all that's happening, he says, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Lodge that phrase in your mind. Jesus says, I hold the keys. I hold the keys. Now, um, I'm at that stage in life where I'm having to hand over my car keys to people who are learning to drive the car. And it's a very exciting time. Uh, the first thing that happens is you pull out the keys and you can see the joy in this person's face as they're driving for the first time. And this sense of accomplishment. And you think to yourself, wow, life is happening. We're really at this stage. Isn't it beautiful? And you hand over the keys, and, and, and whoever's receiving them is this great joy of, oh, I get to, I'm finally here. I've been waiting for years. And, and then you feel joy, seeing the joy in your son or daughter's face. And it's just so wonderful until the key goes in the ignition and the engine fires up. And you start to back out of the driveway. And you are gripped with this mortal fear as you're trapped in this metal box, <laughs> hurtling down the road at speeds that shouldn't ought to be that fast. And there's glass around you, and you can see the mortal perils passing you by. And you look to your left, and this person who was in diapers like three weeks ago <laughs> is now driving the car down the road. And you have no control except to raise your voice and bark commands over and over again. And it's mortifying, the experience. And some of us feel that way when we think about life in general. We're stuck on this ball hurtling through space, and there's so much chaos, and there's so much danger, and there's so much craziness, and sometimes we just wonder, does anybody have the keys? Is anybody driving? Do they know how to drive? Where are we headed? 
What is happening? And the answer in the book of Revelation is yes. There is somebody who holds the keys, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's driving into the future. And despite the scariness and the peril and the craziness of 2017 and now maybe 2018 and whatever year it happens to be, Jesus is still driving the car. That's what the book of Revelation is about. Jesus holds the keys. Now, it says in this particular text that he holds the keys to death and Hades. And so we have to pay attention to what exactly that means. Now, this death and Hades stuff will appear multiple times in the book of Revelation. And in the next place that it appears, it's in combination with that famous four horsemen of the apocalypse. Some of you have heard that. Maybe you've seen you know, people talk about this, or now they have, if you look online, there are all kinds of memes, and they, you know, they put whatever four actors they want, or the four horsemen of the apocalypse. People make jokes out of this. This is a common trope, but it comes from the book of Revelation, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the fourth one is death. The first one is conquest or, or power. The second one is war. And then the third one is famine. And so, or we, maybe those two are switched. Anyway, those are the four. Conquest, famine, war, and death. And the, the fourth one, the fourth horse, is sort of the summary horse. And the picture that's going to be painted later on is that these four horses go galloping through history, wreaking havoc and chaos in the world. That's why you feel like you're stuck on this vehicle that's traveling through space, hurtling through space, and it's chaotic because death and famine and conquest and power and war are wreaking havoc all around us. And it leads you to feel out of control and uncertain. The explanation for the uncertainty is in death and Hades. And, and, the, and the horse, the sidekick of the horse of death is Hades, uh, which is just another word for the, the underworld. Um, and, and, and so this is why we feel this uncertainty in the world around us because these forces have been unleashed and they're wreaking havoc, galloping furiously across the earth. It's why we feel out of control on the planet. There's a moment in chapter 5 where there's these these seals, this, this scroll that's supposed to be open, and it has all the answers to the history of the world, and it's going to unfold the, the ending of time. And John is, is, is waiting for somebody to open the scroll, and nobody can be found. And he starts weeping tears of sadness because there's no hope. And then Jesus appears on the scene. And it says, He alone is worthy to open the scroll. So there's this theme over and over again. There's, there's problems, there's trouble, there's stress, there's chaos, and there's nobody to address it. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and he holds the keys. He's worthy to open the scroll. Eventually, he will toss death and Hades into the lake of fire. Jesus is the one in whom all of our hopes reside because he holds the keys. And this isn't just anybody holding the keys. This is the Son of 
man dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest, his hair, his head as white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like fiery flame, his feet are like fine bronze as it's fired in the furnace, his voice like the sound of cascading waters. Were we to see him in all of his glory, we would fall down in worship because of how great and awesome he is. And good to know that somebody like that has got the steering wheel of the world. And the whole point of our knowing that reality is so that we can take a look at the circumstances around us and reply, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not anxious because I know who is driving this thing into the future. I know who's at the helm. When Jesus came to John, who was, didn't know what to make of this vision, and he placed his right hand on him, he said, do not be afraid. This is what I, I'm praying for us today as we begin 2018, our first worship service in 2018. Would Jesus come to us, put his hand on our shoulder, and say, do not be afraid. Reminding us that he's at the helm, that he's driving this thing. We think about our family circumstances and the potential broken or hard relationships. When we think about our work life and how it's just not what we expected it to be. And there's a lot of uncertainty about this coming year. And we wonder how this project is going to go or how this thing is going to happen. When we think um, about who we are and, and the frustrations that we sometimes have with um, not growing in the way that we would like to be growing... Um, when surprising things happen to us, uh, I was driving down the freeway the other day and somebody came out of nowhere and just smashed into the side of my car. And next thing you know, I'm spinning around on the freeway in the ditch, right? And life is like that. It can happen to us in a flash. And we have a response in those moments. And the response comes out of what we believe to be true about this world. And that's what God wants to speak into through the book of Revelation. He says, I want to tell you what's most true about this world. That there is one who is capable and powerful and loving who is at the helm driving this thing. And so you can move through your circumstances with confidence because of the one who is at the helm. You don't need to fear you cannot be afraid when things go awry. We don't have to result to panic or anxiety or hand-wringing or emotionalism or fear, which if you're like me, I mean, this, I'm preaching to myself right now because there's some areas in my life where I'm going into emotionalism or fear or panic or whatever. So, you know, this is not me saying it for you guys at all. This is for me. I need this. I need this in 2018. When the circumstances go awry, the way we respond comes from what we really believe is true about this world. And sitting and marinating in the book of Revelation is going to draw us close to the powerful truth that there is one who's driving this thing, this world, who is good and powerful and faithful and true. He holds the keys so you can trust him.
He holds the keys. So when Jesus comes to John, he lays his right hand, he says, don't be anxious. He's coming to you today, and he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. This is the first Sunday of the month, and what we, what we like to do on the first Sunday of the month is have a, create a special time of prayer. Um, we're, we're, we're wanting to really cultivate the life of prayer in this community and to make it, to make to see a greater freedom in our prayer. I think sometimes it's easy to come on Sunday morning and say, well, I just got to sit in the chair. Dude is going to talk for a while and then get out of my chair and leave and go home. And there's nothing that costs me anything, right? Um, the problem with that sometimes is we develop this sort of comfort in not responding to God. We wanted to do once a month prayer like this because um, getting up out of our seat, coming forward and asking for prayer is a way to say yes to God with your whole body, physically. To come and, and seek prayer is a way to call down the blessing of certainty and confidence from God that comes from the true message of God. So what we want to do is create a little space and a moment, just like that moment when, when Jesus came to John in the cave, put his hand on him and said, don't be afraid. When you think about 2018 and you think about everything that you're going to be facing in this year. And by the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't have any uncertainty in your life or any challenges at all, then you need to do something bigger, okay, with your life. I'm serious. If you're that comfortable, then you need to take that blessing and ask God to call you into something greater that's going to put you in a place where you have to trust in Him. Because that's the life of faith. We don't, we don't rest on what we have. We, we step out to give it to others. And so, no matter who we are, as we face 2018, we need God. We need to be fearless we need to be confident because God is at the helm. And we want to spend some time this morning calling down the blessing of confidence upon our lives through prayer. As God meets us in our uncertainties.